All right, Father, we thank you so much for tonight. We thank you for the awesome power of your word. And we love your presence. We love worship. And we also love the word of God so much. And we need your word. It's our anchor in life. And, and Lord, I pray as, as we're going to speak this out, that by the presence and power of your Holy Spirit, you would help all of us to have good fertile soil for the work of the Holy Spirit and the word of God and what you're wanting to speak into our lives, Lord. Anoint our eyes and ears. Give us eyes and ears of the Spirit. I rem- we think about when Jesus said, those that have eyes to see and ears to hear, not everybody did. But, Lord, we ask you for the grace tonight that we will have eyes to see and ears to hear. And we'll have good, fertile soil of hearts and minds. And that this word will go out as living seeds of truth sown into good, fertile soil. And be watered by your precious Holy Spirit. And cause to take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. And by the precious power and presence of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would help us to get, you know, locked in and focused, that our minds are not distracted and wondering, um, but we're really focused on what you're saying, and we're going to get everything out of this time that we need to. And, Lord, let there be a washing of the water of the Word, and let there be your Word as light of truth shining forth that would dispel the darkness and the lies and deception of the enemy and bring truth and revelation. Let your Word, Lord, be a sword that cuts away what needs to go, a hammer that breaks down every stronghold. And, Lord, as your word goes forth, you said it will not return void, but accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. So we bind up anything of the enemy that would try to hinder the word. But the Bible says that there are birds of the air that try to come in and steal the seed, but they're not going to do that. In the name of Jesus, we bind that commandment to go. But, Lord, we pray that the winds of your spirit will carry this everywhere it's supposed to go and that your holy angels will watch over your word that it will accomplish that which you want it to. We thank you for it. We believe right now. In Jesus' name we pray. We all agree together. Amen. All right, so I'm going to deal with a sermon that I'm pretty comfortable talking about this. Warfare over your destiny in God. Okay? And let me just encourage everybody that as a Christian, you do have a destiny in God. And the Bible gives us this analogy that the seed is sown into our lives. And it's either going to produce a 30-fold, 60-fold, or a 100-fold in us. So a lot of people, it's sad to say, but it is the truth, and I think everybody here knows this, that there's a whole lot of 30-fold people out there. There's some 60-fold, but there's not very many 100-fold. Y'all hear what I'm saying? And I really hope that this sermon will somehow challenge and stir people up to be an overcomer, and to, and to start having more of a heart for your destiny and God to see. Because all of us are going to die and we're all going to be judged on our personal lives. You know, nobody's going to be there when I stand before Jesus. He's going to be me and him. And my life is going to be laid bare before him. And everything that I was supposed to do, everything he wanted me to do, everything about my life, it's all going to be judged. And I want him to be able to look at me and say, you know, um, you made it to that hundredfold level and you really fulfilled what I called you to do. I don't think any of us, by any stretch of our imagination, will ever be even anywhere close to being perfect. But don't you think that the Lord knows that? So uh, I feel like that when we stand before him, it's going to be a matter of us being overcomers that, that really pressed into him to where he could really use us to do everything we're supposed to do. Not that we're perfect, but that we're fruitful. And Jeremiah, it says in Jeremiah chapter 1 that, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. And so you have to understand that God knows the end from the beginning. Before he even created the world, God knew you. 
Y'all hear what I'm saying? I know this is hard for us to understand because we're thinking, how could God do that? But God knew you and he knew me before he even created Adam and Eve. He knew all of us and he knew how we would be formed in the womb. He knew what type of calling would be on our lives even before Jesus died. And so there's a, there's a destiny in God that all of us have that we need to find out what that is, what our gifting is, and how we can bear fruit for the kingdom. A lot of times your gifting is connected to what your heart is. If you have a heart for reaching out to the lost and hurting and evangelism and all that, then that's probably where your gifting primarily is. And so as I go through this tonight, I'm going to deal with a lot of different things that are going to point people to how you can really fulfill your destiny, but there is a warfare. And listen, Satan does not want Christians to be fruitful and powerful in God. You know, once you truly get saved, and there's a group of people that are truly saved together, Satan knows that he can't um, do anything about that. So his goal then is, okay, look, these, this group of people over here, they've given their lives to God. There's not a thing I can do about that. But if I can just somehow resist them, to where they don't fulfill their destiny in God, they're all just like a 30-fold level. They're all kind of just lukewarm, and they're not going to be really effective. They're not going to be a threat to my kingdom. See, that's what Satan wants. But when there's people that are serious, and they're like, man, I want to break out of that, and I really want to see God move. I want to see people saved. I want to see what we read about in the Bible happen. I want to see the power of God when you start thinking like that, talking like that, and then you start acting on it, that you're going to be a person of prayer and you're going to be a person that's soul winning, etc., you become a threat. And the enemy wants to resist that. And so that's kind of the angle I'm coming from tonight. I believe this sermon will really bless you. But in Proverbs 2.10, it says, For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you and understanding will watch over you to deliver you from the way of evil. So this is what this sermon is going to be about tonight is that God would help us to grow in wisdom, to help us to grow in discretion, and help us to grow in understanding. Those three things. See, discretion, a lot of people lack discretion. Discretion is to know when to say something and when not to say something. Discretion is to know that, you know, I love this person, but I'm not going to tell that person anything I don't want repeated. Discretion. Wisdom. Understanding. Those are three things that really ought to be on all of our prayer list that God would help us to grow in. I'll probably talk a little bit about myself when I was younger in the Lord in this, but let me just say this, as... I've gotten older now in the things of God. I believe that one of the greatest benefits that comes with getting older in the Lord is that you grow in a lot of wisdom because of your time with the Lord, the things you've been through, the things you've seen, and your personal growth in the ministry. You grow in a lot more wisdom than what you had. And I believe that God is wanting the hearts of the fathers turned to children, children to the fathers, because there can be so much wisdom that's passed if people will listen. If people are humble and will really, truly listen and take to heart the wisdom, they can bypass a lot of pain and suffering. All right. Sometimes 
when we're really going to go after God and you're wanting God to use you and you're so hungry for the Lord, sometimes there's going to be some serious spiritual warfare that will come up. And people may not really understand what you're going through. It's kind of like this story, it was a parable of a man that sent his sons, more than one son, and he sent them to this specific tree. And he sent one of them to go in the springtime and describe the tree. He was talking about how beautiful it was and all this, the leaves, how full it looked. And, and then he sent another son to go look at the same tree, but it was wintertime. And he talked about how ugly the tree was, how deformed it was. It was a waste of space. Somebody should cut it down, basically. And you can see that it's the same tree, just in different seasons. And sometimes you go through some really horrible stuff. And if somebody was to see you in that season, they may write you off. But that's just a season. Amen. And when you come through the other side, you're going to be a lot different. And sometimes people don't understand what you're going through. And it can be frustrating because you wish you could talk about it. But even with close family members, sometimes they don't fully understand because they're not in your skin. And they don't realize what you're really going through. And those, those can be really difficult times. But if, if you'll press into the Lord, those can be the times that you become closer to him and more intimate with him than ever before. And throughout your life, God, just like a key, I've had to go get keys made at Home Depot or whatever. And you see them take that key that's flat, you know, and they stick it in there and it begins to cut the grooves to fit the key that you gave them. And what you have to understand, what I have to understand is that you and I, you are the key to your destiny. And so God has to take you and he has to begin to cut you, cut out things that need to go, bring in things that need to come and fashion you. And when he's done, then... It'll unlock your destiny. And most people will tell you that what has made them what they are was the difficult times they went through in life. Even, even sinners will tell you that. We've all been through really wonderful times and we've all been through really difficult times. But everybody in here knows that it was the difficult times in life that really made you who you are. And so people want to get out a lot of times of, of the difficulties, but if you're really called by God, God is going to put you through some things that you need to go through. Uh, for yourself, for your destiny to be cut and shaped to fit what God's called you to, but also so that what you go through, you can help many others. So let me start with this. I'll share a little bit about myself as I go. I feel like I'll probably need to share some things. But the first thing I want to talk about is this. When you're really going to, whenever you're going after God, you're really hungry, you begin to pray and seek God. And you start maybe to go through some spiritual warfare to resist you in your growth. Here's some things that you can look for. Number one, Satan wants to stop your forward progression. Please remember this. You as a Christian are made like those speedboats that have, they have a point at the front, but they have a, a flat back because they're not created to do a lot of going backward. They're created for forward momentum. And God has created us like the hull of a boat, 
that we're supposed to be moving forward. We're supposed to be growing in Christ continually. And Satan knows that if he can stop that forward progression, then he can start causing people to backslide. But first he's got to stop your forward progression. And the Bible talks about in Daniel 7.25 how in the latter days Satan would try to wear out the saints. And so that's something that we all can tell in these latter days that Satan is trying to do. He's trying to wear out the saints. He's trying to get people, you know, one sickness after the other, one betrayal after the next, one thing after the next coming up financially, this coming up at work. And he's trying to cause people to be worn down to where they won't be effective. But the Bible goes on to say in the book of Daniel, but we can do great exploits. So this is an opportunity to actually be used of God to do great exploits in these end times, which is what I want to see. So as the enemy begins to target somebody that's a threat, the first thing he wants to do is begin to resist them and stop their forward progression. He also wants to get them to have hurt feelings with God. Now this is really important. Because the enemy will begin to oppress somebody to where it's maybe difficult to pray, it's difficult to feel God's presence, and he's resisting them, he's hindering them, and while he's doing that, he's trying to put thoughts in their mind to get them to have hurt feelings with God and blame God for it. And he knows that if he can get them angry with God, that he has won a major battle in their life. People that have hurt feelings with God usually have a hard time believing God for very much. They have a hindered prayer life because they have hurt feelings with God. Why would you want to spend time with somebody that you're upset with? Satan wants to begin to resist people so that he can get them out of prayer. I'll probably deal with this prayer issue a couple times through this sermon. But I would say that's the greatest problem, in my opinion, in the body of Christ in America, is a lack of prayer. Because it's because of the lack of prayer that we have so many other problems. If people would really develop a prayer life, if churches would really become houses of prayer, a lot of problems that we have would begin to disappear. But Satan wants to get people out of prayer. He wants them to get either backslid or offended and get them out of church and also where they're not spiritually hungry for God how many knows whenever somebody's really sick and they're dealing with maybe the flu one of the first things that happens is you stop being hungry but yet your body needs food you need to eat so that your immune system can fight off what you needed to fight off and so Satan knows that whenever he attacks people if he can get them spiritually sick where they're not spiritually hungry then they're going to go into a lean place spiritually. But if we would begin to discern these things, and like the hull of a boat that has that V front of it, if we would begin to plow through the satanic warfare and discern what's going on and say, you know what, Satan, you're not going to stop my forward progression. You're not going to get me out of the will of God. You're not going to get me out of church. You're not going to get me out of prayer. I may not feel like praying, but I'm going to pray anyway because you can't stop me. And if people would have that type of attitude, the enemy would have to back off and say, you know, I can't stop these people. They're too stubborn in their faith. And so, here's the thing I want to say here is this, that God has fashioned, when God has called a minister, 
and he's put a specific anointing on their life and a specific mantle on their life. They have a spiritual authority. They have certain giftings and they've been through certain things in life that God has put them through. And God has given them certain messages. He's taught them certain truths. And that ministry has been formed and fashioned by the Lord. And God has a group of people that are supposed to be under that ministry. Did everybody just catch what I said? Now, there'll be other ministries down the road. Somebody that's really anointed, got great giftings in their life. There's a mantle there. Totally different anointing. He's had different life experiences. He's, he's got different sermons because God's taught him different things from a different perspective. And there's a group of people that are supposed to be under his ministry. And we iron sharpens iron. We all, you know, sharpen one another. We learn from each other. But nonetheless, there's a group of people that are supposed to be under that specific mantle that God's called them to be under. And one of the things I've seen, and I say this with love, but I I know this to be the truth. It is a fact. And nobody will be able to convince me different that there's people that God has called them to be under this ministry right now that are not here. Did everybody hear what I said? Something happened where their forward progression got stopped. They got hit by the enemy. They got deceived somehow. They got lifted up with pride. They got rebellious. Something happened to where now they're not where they're supposed to be. I still believe that God can use them to a degree, and I still believe that they have a call on their life, but in that area of their life, that specific area, they're not in the will of God. And I don't know about you, but I want to be under the covering I'm supposed to be under and stay there. Listen, if you're supposed to be under somebody's covering, Satan will do everything he can to get you out of that covering. Listen to me. The more important the relationship in your life, the more Satan will try to destroy that relationship. And Satan tries to turn people against those that they need in their life and get them out of the will of God. Satan will try to turn friends into enemies and divide people. I've seen people through the ministry, and some of y'all that that are called into the ministry, you better hear me because I didn't know it was going to be like this. Had I known, had somebody told me where I really could have expected it, it probably wouldn't have been as painful. But it caught me by surprise. You would be surprised um, at the betrayals and those that will do it. I Honestly, there's people that have betrayed me and, and pulled stuff that I honestly would have never thought in a million years that they would have done it. But they've done it. And they were very arrogant when they did it. And I have never, to this day, there's never been apologies or any type of reconciliation. You have to, in the ministry, you have to let God help you to be able to walk in a very high level of forgiveness and humility. It is very difficult. And the Bible says in the latter days that the love of many will grow cold. And I'm seeing that in the body. I'm seeing people that that, that their love is growing so cold toward the Lord and toward other Christians, toward ministers, even people that God's really used in their life. And the Bible also says in Matthew 24 that people will hate and betray one another. And we're seeing that. 
It was in 2 Timothy 3, I believe, where he talked about perilous times, and he said one of them was treachery. You know what treachery is? It's when somebody is going to commit treason. In other words, they're here, but they're going to betray, and they're going to try to lead a rebellion against their leader in their church. And I've seen these things. It's very concerning. Satan would love to be able to attack people's health. He wants to attack your finances, and he wants to attack your relationships. Those are usually the three areas. And in your ministry, he wants to confine and try to contain that ministry down and suppress it down to where it doesn't break out into all that God has. That's why we've got to have strong prayer lives. Uh, Please, if anything you take away from this sermon, you need to understand that. In these latter days that we're living, people that are not going to have prayer lives at all, and ministries and churches that aren't going to pray, are not going to be able to be truly effective for the Lord. They may um, have big numbers and money, but they're not effective. They're not really effective. You hear me? They're not bearing true fruit. Satan, let me say this in love, but Satan is not afraid of a social club just because it's Christian. Satan is not afraid of an entertainment industry just because it's Christian. What he's afraid of is people that are going to get an anointing and they're going to start living out what they read in the Bible. So let me say a couple things. If you're called to carry the glory, remember, Jeremiah, that your calling was from the womb. I don't know how Satan figures it out, but he seems to know those that are called. I'm talking about from the womb. And I'm going to show you some things here. But if you're called, and you're one of those that's called to be somebody that carries the glory of the Lord, I'm talking about His manifest presence, to be somebody that goes into that glory realm, and you help other people get there, and you, your, your ministry is about the presence of God, you're one of those type of people, um, don't be surprised that you don't face a spirit called Leviathan, and you need to learn about this spirit. Because that is a spirit that opposes the glory of the Lord. It causes people to get lifted up with pride and to rebel. Leviathan causes a very hardening and a person will get very deceived because they feel very superior and they begin to look down. But remember that Lucifer was in the glory of the Lord in an awesome way, in a way that you and I don't know right now. But yet in that realm, in the glory, what happened? He was lifted up with pride. You see in the connection here? Satan knows that the the greatest weapon against the glory is Leviathan. And when Leviathan tries to attack a ministry, Leviathan will come in different ways. But one way is he'll try to get somebody that's a prideful person to begin to really get lifted up with pride and begin to buck up and come against that leader and to begin, begin to get very rebellious. And Leviathan wants to cause things like splits where it'll faction off and a group of rebels will come against a leader, come against a church. And Leviathan also will cause a lot of confusion. How many of you guys, you probably can relate to this. Maybe in your family or in your workplace or even maybe go back to when you were in school. Was there a time when a group of people you were part of got so mad at each other and they were so fighting he said she said and it was total confusion 
And when the smoke cleared, it was you realized, well, that person didn't really say that. That's Leviathan. Leviathan, the Bible says, but by pride comes contention, which means strife. Pride causes strife. But a humble person will come in and be a peacemaker. But pride causes everybody to get all worked up and stirred up and fight. And Leviathan loves that atmosphere of fighting, strife. Somebody will say something out of their mouth, but a person, we go, it goes through the atmosphere, and Leviathan you know, does some kind, <laughs> some kind of jumbling it up or something in the air. It's going out, okay? Attacks it. And by the time it gets to the ears of the people, they heard something completely different than what you said. And then everybody's mad at you. And you, I didn't even say that. That's Leviathan. Let me just kind of move through some of this. Let's just say, for example, that there was a husband and wife and they had three children. And one of their children, they're Christians and they pray over their kids. One of their kids seems to be very misunderstood. They seem to be the person that is getting in a lot of trouble at school. If something's going to go wrong, it seems to find its way to them. And they go through unnecessary rejection. You're looking at them going, why, why are they going through so much rejection? I mean, that kid is the one that God has his hand on. That's the one that's going to be used of the Lord down the road in a mighty way. And Satan knows it. And he's trying to resist him even as a child. Remember Jesus, that Satan tried to have him killed as a child. Remember that? Moses, same thing. If you feel, some of you might be able to relate to this, you feel that throughout your life you look back and think there was a lot of unnecessary rejection and misunderstanding and controversy and confusion that surrounded your life and you didn't understand it because your brothers and sisters didn't go through it. It's probably... Um, a strong indication of the calling on your life. If you're called to carry the spirit of Elijah, and I believe the spirit of Elijah is going to be very strong in these latter days before Jesus comes, the spirit of Elijah is a fiery mantle, an anointing that has a prophetic edge But it has to do with revival. It has to do with calling people to repentance. And cleaning house. When the spirit of Elijah comes, the person that that anointing is upon will really preach out in a way that will bring people to repentance. And there will be like a house cleaning. And it's an anointing that will prepare the way for the Lord to come in great power. Just like, for example, you read about Jesus zeal for his house consumed him. Remember, he went into the temple and he drove out the money changers with the whips. And as he drove them out, then you come back and read later that Jesus came in and he moved with great power. There was healings. There had to be that house cleaning. That's what the spirit of Elijah will bring. And the spirit of Elijah has also got a very prophetic edge. And it will fly in the face of Jezebel. If you have a spirit of Elijah mantle on your life, I promise you, if there's a Jezebel around, she will hate your guts.
And so don't be surprised if you have a call to carry that spirit of Elijah. It's a prophetic edge on your ministry. Revival. I believe connected to the five, uh, the sevenfold manifestation of the Holy Spirit where he's the spirit of the Lord. Spirit of wisdom, revelation, counsel, might knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. When that comes, don't be surprised if Satan doesn't try to attack your destiny with a Jezebel spirit. Everybody hear what I said? The area that God has called you, Satan will try to attack that area of your destiny. He wants to knock you all the way down to where you're only a 30-fold person and you're not really effective. So you're going to have to discern these things. And I really recommend if you're calling to the ministry in these latter days that you do some research about Leviathan and Jezebel and about a religious spirit because those are spirits that the church is going to face and is facing right now in a major way. Another one is if you're called to see revival, don't be surprised if Satan doesn't attack you with a religious spirit. Revival has to do with the freedom of the Holy Spirit. That as you come in, that there's, you're not going to be so caught up with the order and there being a time frame on everything. You just want the Holy Spirit to come and do what he wants to do. And there's a freedom in the house. There's freedom in praise and worship. There's freedom in prayer. Um, there's a freedom for there to be the gifts in operation. And it's just opened up. But see, where the religious spirit comes in, it begins to really suppress all of that freedom. All of a sudden, people can't even lift their hands. They just want to sit there and worship. They don't really enter in. They're not free in their worship. Something has set on them. And the gifts are not functioning. The, the, the freedom that once was there now is suppressed. And, and where once the Holy Spirit was able to move so freely in that church... Now it seems like man is in control and they've got everything structured real tight and the Holy Spirit, they just want him to leave basically because they want man to be in control. And that's a religious spirit. Also, a religious spirit is caught up with debating people. It, it's very um, critical and judgmental of others. It's that spirit that you see behind people that feel that it's their big air quotes ministry to tear down and destroy everybody they don't agree with. That's demonic and it's a religious demonic spirit that's in their life. And so I want you to think about this. The destiny that you have in God, the calling that's on your life. Don't be surprised that Satan hasn't targeted you with certain specific attacks to try to render you ineffective. You need to pray about what your calling is, what your gifting is, what your destiny is, and discern these attacks so that you can plow through them into what God has for you. Also, names are significant. And did you know that many healing evangelists have suffered with major health attacks before their healing ministry? Did y'all know that? So you see how they had a calling to be a healing ministry? 
to have a healing ministry, but Satan attacked them what? Attacked their health. And they had to press into God to get a breakthrough into that healing ministry. Many times they themselves got healed, and then that just seemed to explode the healing ministry through them. So let me, let me share a couple things. A good example here was a man by the name of Oral Roberts. Now just picture this man being born, and his mother or father says, we're going to name this man, this baby, Oral. Now who's ever heard of that name before? Now being, I'm being serious. How many of you have known one other person in your life named Oral? It's interesting that he was named that. It's a weird name. But yet, God must have been in it because he had a calling to be God's mouthpiece to a generation. And if you're going to be God's mouthpiece, what's the two things that you need? You need a mouth to be able to talk and you need healthy lungs. You know how Satan attacked Oral when he was younger? He couldn't talk right. He had a speech problem. And then he got tuberculosis that settled in his lungs and almost killed him. But a healing evangelist came through and laid hands on him, and he was completely healed. And notice those things right there. I'm trying to show you something. Satan attacked him being a mouthpiece, and Satan attacked him, what, with sickness, too, because he was going to have a great healing ministry. Names are significant. And it's interesting how this works out. And, of course... My family had no idea I'm going to preach on this or anything like this, but I'm going to use them for an example. But my wife's name means defender of men. But it's interesting because she was abused when she was young by a man. And the tendency would have been to hate men. And the last thing in the world to be is to be a defender of men. But she came to know Jesus, God healed her, and she has defended me many times. As a matter of fact, she defended me today about something. I'm being serious about this. Names have power. There's something about it. That's why Jesus changed Peter's name to Peter. Because his name, Simon, it had to do with being unstable and flaky. And that was what, Peter, before Peter got stable, he was unstable and flaky. Would anybody argue with that? Just like before you get lifted up too much pride, just like me and you have been too. But Jesus said, you know what? I'm changing your name to Peter, which is rock, because you are going to be stable. I see it in your future. And Peter became a tremendous strength in the body of Christ in the early church. He was a pillar of strength. And just regarding names as well, my daughter's name, Brianna, it's interesting because my wife has always called her Anna. But in the Bible, Anna was a temple intercessor. And then Brianna's turned into a very powerful intercessor in the Lord. In my name, my first name is Jeff. I don't go by that. My middle name is Scott. But Jeff means about beloved of God. It has to do with like an intimacy with God. And, and Scott means like a warrior. And it's interesting because even when I was younger in the Lord, God began to speak to me about the life of David and about a priestly ministry. David understood how to worship and be intimate with the Lord, but also how to be a warrior. And God really dealt with me about that. That was part of my calling. See, my name reflects that. So 
So names are significant. And let me just say as I move on from this, make sure that you're careful. Pray about what you name your children and also be careful about nicknames. Because sometimes people are given belittling, demeaning nicknames that are said in fun and joking around. But they don't realize it, but it's really tearing that person down. And you're speaking something over them that could really hinder them. You don't want to do that. Make sure that any nicknames or anything like that are things that are innocent. And not going to be something that tears down. You want to speak into people blessings and empower them into what God's called them to do. And I've known a few people over the years that felt led to change their name to a biblical name because their name maybe was... I knew a young lady one time. See, when I say ISIS, you're going to think of the Islamic state. There was, this, had, this was way before there was such a thing. But I knew a young lady that had the name ISIS, and it comes out of Egyptology, and it was a demon god in Egypt, okay? And um, I remember her parents were like hippies, and they were kind of weird, and they named her that. But I remember thinking, and I told her, she really ought to think about changing her name. I mean, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to have the name of a demon god from Egyptology as being something people called me all the time. I'm just being honest. If I had that name, I would legally change it. So here's the next point I want to make. Warring over the prophetic in your life. 1 Timothy 1.18, this command I entrust you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made by you or made concerning you, that by them, also can translate recalling them, you may fight a good fight. All of us have had prophecies that have been spoken over our lives. But I want to encourage you to begin to go back and document prophecies that were significant. I've got a Word document that I have saved. And it goes back to probably 2006. And I've documented. Nobody knows about this. I don't even think my wife knew this till right now. But this is just something I've done for many years. And I've documented different significant times in my life. When God spoke to me something. He gave me a significant prophetic word. I had a divine appointment maybe with a really powerful man or woman of God that prayed over me, and I felt it was very significant. And I go in there, and I document this thing. And, I, of course, I started in 2006, but I went back and, and wrote down things that happened going back to when I first got saved. And I know, as I look over that documentation, it paints a picture of destiny. Because there's all these different people that didn't know each other from different parts of the world that's prayed over me about different things, but yet it all paints the same picture. And it has to do with destiny. And I know the prophecies that have been previously made over my life, and I stand on those. And let me tell you something, it's important that you understand this. When you're called, and you're truly called of God, and God's going to anoint you, God will cause you to go through things that are the exact opposite. Please remember that. God tells Abraham, okay, Abram, when he's first called, you're going to go be the father of many nations. Leave your father's house. He goes out and has no children for 25 years. Does anybody else see that that's the exact opposite of what God said? You're going to be the father of many nations. Lots of offspring. I would imagine after five years, He's thinking, well, you know, we, we talked about this. And, and then 10 years passed, then 15. 
God tells the children of Israel, you're going to go into a land flowing with milk and honey. But what God didn't mention was, you're going to go through a wilderness that is the exact opposite of that before you get there. And that wilderness is going to test you and get out of you the things that need to be uh, removed out. See, David, let me just encourage some people about this. See, Benny Hinn talks pretty openly. I don't remember what, if it was in the Holy Spirit book he wrote, Good Morning Holy Spirit or whatever. Y'all can help me out because I think you guys have read this. But he talked about how his father was rejecting toward him. And Benny Hinn actually was so shy. Now think about this, the calling on his life to be a mouthpiece and to be somebody that's bold going out. I mean, think about the boldness it would take to do what he's had to do. Anyway, to be bold like that, you know how Satan attacked this guy? When he was a kid, he was so shy that when people come over, he would go hide under his bed in his room. I'm 40 years old. I've never seen that before. I've never seen that level of shyness. He had a speech problem, and he was so shy getting up in front of people um, at school, it was totally just terrifying if he had to give a speech or something. It would terrify him. And his own father was rejecting of him and told him, out of all my children, actually, I think Benny has several brothers and sisters, but his dad said, out of all my children, you're the one that won't amount to anything. What a nice thing to say. But on the other side of that, he's the one that's amounted to the most, spiritually speaking. Reinhard Bonnke, his father told him, that his brother would be his successor and was rejecting toward Reinhardt. But yet, Reinhardt was the one that now has won, well, I mean, 10 million people? Does anybody even know? To the Lord. But he was rejected by his own father. And sometimes the very people that's been the most misunderstood, they've been through the most confusion and controversy, that even their own family has been rejecting to them, it's because of the calling on their life. There's a sense of destiny there. And I think about David, a lot of times people read over this and really don't think about because God put David on my heart many years ago and I really studied his life. So I had a lot of time to meditate on what I read But people don't realize how demeaning David's family was to him. When Samuel came to town, Samuel was the man of God of that time. This is a true story. When Samuel would go to a town in Israel, the people of the town shook with fear. Because they would say something like this, Samuel, do you come in peace? Is everything okay with us and God? Why are you here? You know, they were afraid because he was the man of God. <clears throat> and this great man of God hears from God to go not only to David's hometown, but to go to David's father's house. So think about how much of a big honor this was. And Jesse has him come in. I'm sure Jesse's thinking, man, this is such an honor for you to be here. Why are you here? Okay, are we, is everything okay? You know. 
And he says, I'm here to anoint a king. And Jesse's probably taken back by that. So somebody in my family, you know. And you look at the story, and Jesse, and his, apparently Jesse's wife and that family, went down the line of his sons, but it never even entered their mind that David was even a possibility. That's how little they thought of him. See, a lot of people read over it and don't think about how demeaning that really is. They didn't even think in their mind to invite him out of the fields. And so they go down the line, none of them or the king, and so they end up bringing David in, and to everybody's surprise, he's the one. God seems to delight in doing that. So if you've had a life that you look back on where you feel like that you were rejected a lot of times you shouldn't have been, you felt like the oddball in your family to some degree, you feel like even your parents were rejecting toward you and accepting of your siblings, you felt like when you grew up in school that you you were different, there was something, it's probably because God's hand is on your life and he's wanting to do something through you that's significant. But God will have to fashion you on the potter's wheel. Jeremiah 18. Remember Jeremiah went up and he looked down and saw the potter forming the clay. God's going to have to take you and he's going to have to form you. And that's the difficult part. Because once God gets a hold of you and he begins to form you. And he begins to put pressure on areas of your life that need to um, shift into alignment. It's kind of like the doctor poking. Does this hurt? Does this hurt? Ow! You know, yeah, that hurts. All right. That's what God will do. He's going to go through there, and he's going to find the stuff that needs to be removed and deal with it. And I promise you that the wilderness time that you'll go through before you get into your destiny will be the exact opposite of your destiny. The wilderness time will be the exact opposite. When David got anointed as king, he was probably thinking, great, you know, I'll be moving to Jerusalem in a few days. I'm going to start packing, you know, let's go. But David had a long journey from that day to the palace. He had to face the lion and the bear. Remember that? Then he had to face Goliath. And David also had to go and begin to be king in Hebron for a couple years There was all this training. See, people get frustrated when they read about King Saul. And King Saul, in many ways, did fail as a king, and he was rebellious. But the one thing I'll say about Saul is this. Saul had no wilderness experience, no cave dwelling, no difficulties to prepare him. When it was time for a king, God basically looked down and said, You know what? You want a king? I'll give you a king. I'll give you exactly what you want. And he picked the guy out of the crowd that was handsome and taller than everybody else, looked like a king that could represent him. And they're all like, yeah, this is our king. And they were so excited. But yet, he gave Israel exactly what they wanted after the flesh. And he ended up being a not very good king at all. But Saul did not have any real training, whereas David, when he was anointed as king, God allowed him to have to face the lion and the bear in private. He allowed him to face Goliath. And then he allowed him to wander in caves. And some Bible scholars believe that could have been up to around 16 years. That he wandered in caves 
with some vagabonds that joined him. But let me tell you something. That small group of people that rallied around David ended up because of the anointing on David's life that rubbed off on them. Did you know that they became known as David's mighty men and that they became giant killers also? And that small group of people David had around him, also when he came into power, they came with him. So here's what I would say now. Let me say a few more things about this. Hopefully this has helped you guys tonight and encouraged you. But number one is, for you to really come into your destiny, let me show you a little bit about what I went through. When I got saved in January 95, I was very young in the Lord, that come out of a lot of sin, and I was very unstable. I was about 18, 19 years old, and I, w- I was starting to go to Bible school, but there was a church that I was going to, and they wanted me to start helping out with the young people, but I was very unstable. I was 18, 19 years old. I'd only been saved for a year or two. And imperfections and things in my life that weren't right began to surface. And I began to really cry out to God because in this environment that I was in, bless their heart, I love them, but it was a, a cold, it was a religious cold environment. I did not feel a lot of love and I did not feel that there was anybody there that was really willing to invest in my life. As a matter of fact, the only reason I feel like God brought me there was because there were two old women there that were intercessors. And they were the only people that would invest in my life, literally. And I would go up there and pray, and I was really seeking God because I didn't have any mentoring, I didn't have any help, and I did not know how to walk in victory. I didn't know what the ministry looked like. And, but these older women began to teach me about prayer. And they, they cared about me. They laid hands and prayed over me a lot. And I really believe this powerful intercessory ministry that we have today, I really believe it goes back to them, what was imparted to me. But anyway, as I began to seek the Lord, God spoke to me one day and said, I'm going to take you into the school of the Spirit. And he began to sideline me and put me into prayer. And I spent a lot of time in prayer. And God began to teach me some things because back then I was so young in the Lord and and young in life that I didn't know even what it truly meant to die to the flesh. If somebody said to me, I want you to sit down, I want you to explain to me what does it mean to die to the flesh? What does that mean? And to live in the spirit. I would have had a hard time explaining that. And so this was the first thing God taught me was that in prayer, if you'll begin to pray and spend time with the Lord, Through prayer, you bring your flesh down under subjection and you die to that flesh and your spirit man will emerge and you'll walk in the spirit, but it's out of prayer. And God began to also teach me about the world and the spirit of the world and how to disconnect from that. Another big one he taught me was how to have a renewed mind. And this was a big deal because I did not know what that meant. And so God began to teach me about how to get my mind renewed to dismiss the old negative thinking, things that you don't need to be thinking about and think upon different things and to have a strong, disciplined mind. Then after that, God began to teach me about inner healing and deliverance. And this was a huge one because I was still needing breakthroughs from things uh, regarding the sin of my past. 
and also generational curses that really needed to be broken. And I didn't know about any of this. But I'm going to tell you, once I learned about those things and began to apply them, my life radically began to change. And what happened was that instability, those struggles with sin, the struggles with the flesh, all of that began to become a strength. And God began to change me and stabilize my Christian walk. And so I say all that to say that the first thing I would say to everybody is if you're called into the ministry, you're going to need to learn some of those things. How do you die to the flesh? How do you renew your mind? And how do you disconnect from this world and not get so caught up with that? You need to learn also about inner healing and deliverance, big time. And that's one of the things that's really been powerfully in our ministry is helping people to get free. Because a lot of people don't realize this, but there's a lot more in their life than what they realize. And once they go through something like we have what's called a deliverance questionnaire, once they really are honest and, they, and then they go through that and they pray it all through, they're really surprised at how free they feel on the other side of that. Because it deals with things that are generational and things from their past. And they come into true freedom. Listen, it's not how you start... It's how you finish. There's a lot of people that started really good. And man, it's just like King Saul. I mean, he came right out of the chute. Man, he's ready to go, right? But you know what? About midway through, he crashed and burned in front of everybody. There's a lot of people that seem to start so promising. Maybe they're, they're a handsome young man. They, they've, they've got a lot of strong anointing and gifting in their life and and they find a lot of favor, and they really just seem to like a rocket just take off, but yet, uh, several years down the road, they crash and burn because they never dealt with stuff in their life. And I thank God, like David, God touched me and anointed me, but these instabilities and things were there when I was young, and God shoved me into some cave-dwelling times where he dealt with that stuff. And if you're going through God's process, God's wilderness, remember this. If it's easy, it's not God. You're, you messed up somewhere. You, there was a fork in the road, and you took the wrong one. You need to reverse and get back to that fork, because if it's easy, it's not God. It's either the devil or it was you. But if it is harder than what you think it should be, it lasts longer than what you think it should. That was God. See, everybody wants the anointing. You cannot get the oil without crushing that olive. The, people want the anointing. Well, I'll just go get this person to pray for me. And don't get me wrong, there is impartation that's very powerful. But for God to really use you in a strong anointing, you're not going to get out of that crushing. And so I remember reading about David's life and all these different, and God even showed me symbolically the different places that he went and what they represented in my life and how I'd learned about prayer, learned about this, that, and the other. But the last thing was Hareth, and it had to do with... Uh, like hedged about with thorns and isolation. And God spoke to me about suffering and isolation. 
And I thought at the time, well, okay, you know, how hard can it be? (laughs) Remember what I said. If it's harder than what you think it should be, and it lasts longer than you think it should, then it's God. These weaknesses in your life are going to have to become strengths. And listen, I say this in love, but the people that I have influence with, I want you to hear this from me, and I mean it. Don't tell me that you're serious about your calling if you're not serious about your personal prayer life. Because you're not. If you're not willing to spend time with the Lord, you're not really serious about your calling. You know what the book of Mark says about Jesus? He said that he called the twelve unto him that they might be with him. Then it says to send them out to preach and heal the sick and all that. But he called them unto him that they might be with him. See, a lot of people, they have a calling, but they never really take it serious. They never really truly begin to press in. And one of the things God showed me when I was young in the Lord was this. Every great man and woman of God that's ever been used in a powerful way, what marked their life was they were a powerful man or woman of prayer. And God showed me that. And from that moment on, that was probably like 1997. From that moment on, I said, God, you've got to do that in my life. And I'll tell you something, this, this is something only God can do, but I encourage people to pray about this. But in January of 97, I've been saved two years. I had been touched at the Browns of Revival. I've told you all about that in 96. But in 97, I, I'll never forget this because it was cold out. It was wintertime. And I was, um, I was at this specific house. And anyway, the Holy Spirit came upon me, and God began to draw me into prayer. And the Bible says that no man can come unless the Father draw him. There's got to be some kind of drawing from the Lord. And God put in me this hunger to know him and to get into prayer. And I began to seek the Lord in prayer. And I knew that God had a calling. And I began to get glimpses of what I was called to do. And I began to really study. God laid on my heart, and that's the books I use with the internship, by the way. But God laid on my heart, I want you to read this book. And I would go get it, and I would study it. And this was before the Internet. I mean, this was really supernatural, right? I had to go actually to a bookstore and find these things. But God really spoke to me about this. I want you to read this book. And I would study it and then read this and study it. And I did that for years. Now, I'm not saying this in any other way other than I'm hoping it will provoke you. But God had me in a place. Remember, I said he sidelined me and drew me into prayer. He had me in certain ministries and certain capacities to where I could do this. But, I mean, I would get done what I need to do early in the morning, and I would spend the rest of the day in prayer. I was just so hungry. And God was pouring into me. And I learned about the things that I'm teaching you now. But, see, if I had been too lazy back then to get into prayer, and I was too lazy to study what I need to study back then and get serious about my calling, this right now wouldn't be going on. And the anointing that some of you have gotten delivered of stuff, and you've gotten healed of stuff, and you've received an impartation, and some of you really know what I'm talking about, 
none of that would have ever happened. You would have had to gone somewhere else and find it because it wouldn't have been here. We've got to take our calling serious and really get into prayer and go after God. So here's a couple things. Make sure that you go through inner healing and deliverance. Make sure that you've gone through that deliverance questionnaire and that you really get that stuff out of your life. You know, there's somebody right now that I know is called into the ministry. I don't want to say their name because we're recording this. But he's told me, man, thank God for all the stuff I've been delivered of. Well, what would have happened if you never got that here and you ended up in the ministry 10 years down the road and all that stuff started surfacing? It's better to deal with the stuff while it's not, Billy Graham, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. You better deal with it at the beginning so you can finish strong. You don't want to crash and burn midway. Let God make those weaknesses in your life strong. He's going to have to harden you to difficulties. Okay, you need to be ready for the fact that ministry is difficult and that people may betray you and people may smear your name and lie about you. You need to go ahead and get okay with that. Nobody told me that. I, it blew my mind that Christians, I'm being serious because I grew up in a good family with my parents loved me and, and you know, I, we had a good pastor that loved us. And I got into ministry, I had no idea what I was getting into. And it was honestly devastating, and it wounded me. And God had to heal me. But I learned pretty quick that, man, you're going to have to be ready for the fact that there's going to be people that may hate you for no good reason. And they may run you down behind your back and smear you and turn others against you and betray you. And you're just going to have to be okay with that. Also, to deeply consecrate your life unto God. Thank God for what he's been speaking to us in River of Life the last couple years. Thank God. I've never seen God, other churches do this. Have you? Where we've taken time as a ministry to pray and fast like this and to come together and have, you know, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. We're going to anoint you and pray over you. Those that want to, to, to water immerse or whatever, you deeply consecrate your life and, and spend time um, examining ourselves. And thank God. Get serious about your prayer life and preparation. What books are you supposed to be studying? What message are you supposed to be preaching? What gifting is in you that God wants to use? See, a lot of people don't even know. You've got to have a message. When you think of a name, let's just start throwing out people right now. When you think of somebody like Benny Hinn, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Healing. Think of Rodney Howard Brown, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Revival. You think of Dr. Cho, prayer. You see what I'm saying? There's got to be something that you realize what your message is and what you're called to. You think of Kenneth Hagin. What do you think of? Faith. They had an anointing. They had a mantle. And they had a calling. And God developed them in that. And they were effective for the Lord. Some of them still are. Also, humility has a lot to do with promotion. We're going to have to learn how to, you're going to have to learn how to humble yourself down to the dirt. When I was in Bible school, one of the things that shocked me, and I thank God, I don't know, I don't know why that I just instinctively knew. It's probably because my mom and dad were praying for me. But I was around a lot of people 
in Bible school that really were caught up in making a name for themselves. If I can shake this person's hand and, and meet this person, and if I, can, if I can go youth pastor at this church, and then I can go to this, and it was all about how big their church was, how much their name, their name would be known and all of that. And it was all about self-promotion and pride. And I remember feeling very uncomfortable with it. And I don't know why. Nobody had set me down and said, now look, when you go to Bible school, watch out for this. Nobody did that. I just had some kind of an uncomfortable feeling. Like, I don't want that. What you're talking about. And that was around the time that God spoke to me and said, I'm pulling you out into the school of the Spirit. And I mean to tell you, he put a hunger in me like you have never seen. I I could not, I had to be in there with him in prayer. I cannot describe it any other way. I had such a hunger, and he put a hunger in me to learn his word. And he drew me away. I believe he was protecting me from a lot of that garbage. And I've seen that stuff. And my wife and I have seen it in different people, but one in particular she's probably thinking of. We talked to this person. I talked to him. said, man, you need to quit being so much about trying to you know, sell your name and promote yourself and being in the limelight and how you're going to manipulate this and control this and, and, and become this great person or whatever. And your ministry is going to be so known. You need to quit trying to promote yourself. You need to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and let him do it. And he's like, yeah, I hear what you're saying. And then he went out and kept doing it. Some have eyes to see and ears to hear and some don't. Some have humility to listen and others don't. And you're going to have to become a person of wisdom. Man, if I could tell you to pray for anything, sincerely pray for wisdom every day and believe God. The Bible says that if you pray, that God will give wisdom to them that ask liberally without finding fault. But then it says, don't expect to receive anything from God unless you pray and believe. And I encourage you to pray for wisdom and believe God. Because we're going to need great wisdom in these latter days if you're calling to the ministry. You're going to need discernment. You're going to need discernment. I've had times, and my wife will back me up on this, I've had times where somebody seems so sweet and they seem like the nicest person on the surface, but something in me was saying, don't trust them. They're not what they pretend to be on the surface. Don't trust them. And I would tell my wife, don't tell this person anything you don't want repeated. Be careful with them. They're not what they pretend to be. And over time, it came out, did it not? You have to have discernment, okay, to know by the Spirit what's of God and what's not, who's of God and who's not. You need that, wisdom and discernment. And don't get discouraged by the satanic warfare because God is fashioning you. You listen to me. There's always going to be an attack before blessing. The greater the attack, 
the greater the blessing on the other side. When you're going through major spiritual warfare, please remember that because it can encourage you through it because you realize this has been so horrible, but yet there's a huge blessing on the other side. Let me tell you, we've had that even in this ministry where it was like a season of warfare and difficulty and maybe we lost some people and there was some betrayal and there was hurt, but then yet it seemed like the anointing and the glory would explode on the other side and we go to a whole new level in the spirit. So it's just like the children of Israel. God was about to take them out of slavery. So what happens right before that? Pharaoh orders the straw to be removed and their slavery got a lot worse. You hear what I'm saying? A lot of times when you're right at a place where you're about to get a victory, that's when things get the worst. Storms in life, God's going to allow these. You're not going to get you're not going to get to your destiny without going right through a Goliath to do it. Don't blow off what I'm saying because your giant is different than somebody else's giant. It's something that to you seems impossible. Everybody in the ministry will tell you that they had in their life a time when they had to face their personal Goliath. It was some kind of a giant that was maybe serious sickness that could have killed them and it was serious and they had to take the head off that giant and they got healed and then they were launched into a great healing ministry to another person it was something completely different maybe something um, sinful in their life that they struggled with their whole life and they had to conquer that giant they had to take it down but once they did it was the very thing that catapulted them into their destiny And I just heard Lyndall Cooley preach on this about Beelzebub. And what he said was this. He said that one of Satan's names is Beelzebub, which means Lord of the Flies. Flies speak of lies and different things like that. But in his scenario, he was saying distractions. How Satan tries to just storm distractions all around you. Let me tell you. I remember reading this book one time. This guy was saying he was in Vietnam. But he said, you know, this may sound weird, but he said the thing that was the most tormenting to him, one of the things was the constantly having to swap mosquitoes. He said they were tormenting. They were constantly dealing with mosquitoes. Night and day, you try to sleep, they're constantly biting you. It was a distraction to him, you know. Satan will try to stir up all these distractions to get you away from your destiny. Wrong relationships you don't need in your life. Different attacks against your health, your finances, this person's mad at you, this you know, fire has started up over here, and all these things he's trying to put around you, all these distractions, so that you never really press into what God has. Satan will try to intimidate you. Don't forget this and don't take this lightly. It is an awful thing when a very powerful demonic being is glaring down on you with supernaturally strong intimidation trying to get you to shut your mouth. I'm speaking from experience. Satan will try to intimidate you, but you have to pray for a boldness in the Holy Ghost. That the Holy Spirit will rise up within you. I'll tell you, that's something that the Jezebel spirit will try to do. They'll sit there, a Jezebel spirit, boldness is the Holy Spirit. 
But a Jezebel spirit is arrogant, brazen. And they'll talk down to you like you're an idiot and there's a supernatural intimidation spirit behind them. And you, you have to let the Holy Spirit within you raise you up on your feet and say, I'm not taking it from you. Out. And they may mock you all the way out the door, but you cannot put up with that intimidation witchcraft. Satan will also try to discourage you. How many people have been so discouraged? I've had times in my life where only God knows how serious this was, but I really was so discouraged that I, I, want, I really physically wanted to die. I was that discouraged at times in my life. Satan will try to get you so discouraged that you give up on your destiny. You'll go through difficult times. You're either going to become a better person and a stronger person, or you're going to become somebody that's bitter in life. You ever met an old bitter man? That's not how I'm going to end up, by the grace of God. But I've met people that are old and they're bitter. You want to be somebody that the difficulties in life made you a better person. Remember, Jesus had a Judas. A Judas is somebody that was close to you, somebody you confided in, somebody you trusted that ended up betraying you. If you're really called... Jesus will allow a Judas in your life to help you become more like him. Satan knows the way to stop somebody from their destiny is to get them to become a prideful person or a rebellious person or a bitter person or to keep them living in unrepentant sin in their life. Those would be the four areas I would say Satan knows he can stop somebody from their destiny. So our goal is to become more humble next year than we are now. To make sure that we're under authority and under the covering we're supposed to be under. And we're not going to allow the enemy to pry us out of that. If you're really truly called by God to be under somebody's ministry... Don't think that Satan won't try to pry you out of there. Because if you're really supposed to be there, it's connected to your destiny too. And bitter people. Satan knows if somebody's bitter, God can't trust them. We've got to properly learn everything that we need to when we go through these trials. But let me tell you something. This has seemed really somewhat negative. It's the truth in life, Okay. It's the warfare, but I'll tell you something. When you're going through all of this and God's preparing you, you're going through the warfare, you're going through the difficulties and all of that. If you'll get alone with the Lord, you can have a personal revival that is unbelievable. Now, I'm speaking from experience where you can know him in a way that you would have never known him any other way. It's like all the difficulties and all the training and everything is drawing you into an intimacy with him to know him in the secret place. And the last thing I want to close with this, but this is extremely important, is the courtroom. Listen, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. A lot of people have never heard a sermon on this in their life. It's never really been preached in churches. But did you know that God is our loving father? But did you know that also God is a judge? And there's, heaven is like a courtroom. And I'm going to show you that in the scriptures. Satan goes up to God and accuses God's people. 
And many times the reason why some people go through so much difficulty in life and they don't understand why, it could be because the accuser of the brethren went up to the courtroom and he set something against you in motion. Let me show you what I mean. Revelation 13, 7, it was given power. It was talking about the beast. It's talking about the Antichrist. And um, right now, though, the Antichrist spirit is in the world. How many of you guys can see anti-Christianity, persecution around the world? And there's, there's a trying to wear out the saints, trying to oppose the people of God. It says this is going to kind of be at its climax, but it says it was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. It's talking about the Antichrist one day when he fully comes to power. But listen to what Daniel 7.22 says. Until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. So Satan will try his best to really set up against you, but if the Ancient of Days ever goes to bat for you and says, I'm going to render judgment in your favor, there's going to be a huge breakthrough. Let me show you some things Jesus taught. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 25, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. This is an important scripture. A lot of people read over this and don't know what it's talking about. And let me read Revelation 12, 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now has come the salvation, the power, and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Messiah. For what the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. You get a glimpse of this in the life of Job when Satan came and appeared before God. And God said, Have you considered my servant Job? And Satan automatically started accusing him. Well, you know, he's only serving you because his life's blessed. But I tell you what, if you lift your hand, if you let me do this, this, and this, and this, he'll curse you, and God allowed it. But at the end, remember, Job got a double portion blessing, and the latter part of his life was more blessed than the first and all that. But Satan will do this. That's why Jesus said, settle matters quickly with your adversary along the way. If the enemy, if you got stuff in your life that's not right, you better make sure and deal with it. Because the accuser of the brethren will go up and he'll say to the judge, you know, look, this person down here is living in unrepentant sin. They have this, that, and the other in their life and they're not repenting. And God will have to allow him to attack them. Now I'll tell you something else, how the accuser will work against people is he'll try to find legal. See, if somebody's not a threat to Satan, Satan's not going to waste his time. But if you become a threat, Satan will try to search your bloodline. He'll try to look through your home. And he'll try to find something in your life that he can go up and accuse you to God about. And if it's legitimate, then it will open the door for an attack. That's why sometimes people have had horrible attacks and they don't know where it came from or why. Because the accuser. That's why it's so important when I tell you, to go through things like this deliverance questionnaire where you go through your family line, you go through your life and you examine things and you really make sure that you've forgiven people for real. Because the devil knows if you haven't. 
and really have confessed things and repented and dealt with these generational curses and that you go through your home and you don't have something in your home that's a legal doorway for the demonic. That there's not something that he can target you with. It's important. In Luke 18, remember the persistent widow. Jesus said there was this widow that kept coming to an evil judge and saying, give me justice because of my adversary. And the the evil judge said, you know what? I don't care about God. I don't care about this woman. But she's coming to every every day. She's wearing me down, man. So I'm going to give her what she wants. So she'll just leave me alone. And Jesus said, if an evil judge will give her justice because of her persistence, how much more so will your father in heaven give his children justice? And God will give you justice against your adversary. But what I'm trying to show you is that Satan wants to go up to that courtroom and he wants to oppose your destiny in God. That's really what it's about. He'll go up there and say, you know what, Lord? I know that they're called to this, that, and the other, but they've got unrepentant pornography in their life. They've got this in their home that they're allowing their home. They got this in their life. And God's like... Well, okay, I mean, next thing you know, boom, it's like an explosion of an attack comes against them and ends up slamming their ministry, slamming them and trying to destroy their destiny in God where they can't fulfill everything. Whereas if they would really repent and confess this stuff before God, Lord, forgive me for this. Clear these judgments in the courtroom against me. Clear this stuff. The, you know what will happen is the accuser of the brethren's power will be broken That's why Jesus said, agree with your adversary along the way. You know, Satan says, hey, he's got this in his life. Well, instead of arguing with the devil about something that you know is in your life anyway, why not go to God and say, Lord, forgive me. I believe the blood of Jesus washes me. That'll silence the accuser. Satan attacks people with temptation. You've got to learn to overcome that. Satan attacks people with deception. Very deadly attack. Because people that are deceived don't think they are. Hello? They think you're the one deceived. And he attacks with accusation. He'll accuse you to your mind. He'll, here's how the devil works. He'll jump on somebody and tempt them and keep tempting them and keep tempting them. They need to rebuke him. But regardless, let's just say they end up finally kind of giving in to a temptation. Then he'll jump on their back and start accusing them. You know, you say you're a Christian. You say you've got some call in your life. And here you are doing this. He's the accuser. He'll go and whisper thoughts in somebody's mind negative against you. Next thing you know, you see them and they're giving you the cold shoulder. They're looking at you weird when you're preaching now. And you're like, what happened to you? Well, what happened was the accuser went and put a thought in their mind. And instead of them discerning the devil and rebuking it, they've entertained it. And the accuser will go up before God and try to find something to accuse you about. I'm trying to expose some satanic strategy. Why? So we can fulfill our destiny in God. Make sure that there's not any cases or judgments or anything in the courtroom that is still trying to hinder your destiny. That Satan went up there and he said a bunch of stuff about you or about your uh, generations or something in your life and, or family that is some kind of legal. Make sure that all that's cleared away so that he can't do that. And the Bible promises us in the last days here in Revelation that the accuser of the brethren will be cast down. 
So you know what I believe? Satan is knowing his time is short. He knows his time is short, and he's working overtime. He's trying to make sure, if he can, there's a Jezebel in every church. He's trying to make sure that there is a Judas around every pastor. He's trying his best to tempt those that are truly going to do something for God, to throw all kinds of temptation against them, to try to attack them with deception. He's trying to accuse them before God night and day. But the Bible says that God's going to cast that accuser down. And greater is he that's in us than he that's in this world. And I promise you, if you'll press into the Lord, you will overcome and fulfill your destiny in God. So, Father, this has been a unique sermon. But, Lord, I pray that people will take this to heart and begin to press into you. It's in prayer that we get to know the Lord. Jesus called the disciples unto him that they might be with him. And it's in prayer that we learn and we grow. And then we begin to go through things that are going to shape us. Difficult things, trials, storms, things that we don't want, wilderness time. But it's forming and fashioning us for our destiny in God. And Lord, I pray for the grace for all of us to emerge into all that God has for us. In Jesus' name, let there be major breakthroughs. And I believe that you're calling people, even tonight, to be more focused on what their destiny is and begin to really pray into that. And Lord, we bless you and we thank you for it. I'll say this before we turn off recordings. You know, the things you've been through in life, remember me telling you that the first church I was at, I was really young in the Lord. It's like 1920. You know, I was, it was a very cold, sterile environment, very unloving. And I didn't really have any type of mentoring. You know what's interesting? It's when I got older, I never wanted to be like that. And God had put on my heart to have something like an internship and to be able to speak into young ministers' lives. Because I know what it's like. And when nobody's willing to invest in you. So what I'm saying is, is that the things that you went through that seem bad and hurtful will end up being a great strength to you down the road. It really will. It will, it, there's things that you'll go through in life in churches and ministries that it's meant to be this where you say you know what I learned there I learned what not to do I learned what not to become that's part of your training too 